Oh, the shape up or get. If you've let all the fans down. Can we not lock this? It's a fact. I love playing mind games. I'm talking about facts. I always said if I was Aladici, I would probably say I was more of a tactical genius. Yeah, I answer questions on anything. Uh, religious, politics, uh, health, you know, sexual uh, problems. Look at his face! Just look at his face! None of you except for those two have done anything to justify the money that you earn. None of you, this I suggest you shut up and show more football. Yes, you're very welcome along to Team 33 here in Off the Ball. End a call here with you, and I'm joined on the line by Will O'Callaghan and by Arthur O'Dee as well. Gentlemen, how are you getting on? Good, thanks, Andy. Getting that kind of end of transfer window excitement now, seeing who's going to get deals done before the transfer window slams shut in a few days' time. This transfer window always slams shut. It never closes gently, does it, Will? No, no, it's never a, a kind of an easy, just go out stage left. It has to slam shut after some last minute, really bad deals are done, particularly in January. And there's a few Premier League clubs who seem to be scrambling to try and get deals over the line over these last few days. And uh, it seems Newcastle chief among them. It's key to probably staying in the Premier League that they need to turn some of these irons that they have into the fire into completed deals. You know, just having Trippier and Wood coming in so far in such desperate need of a centre-back. Um, we'll see if Jesse Lingard ends up making the move from Manchester United uh, to Newcastle when it seemed it was entirely dead. It looks like maybe this weekend it might come back alive again. Yeah, so we're going to chat about the Newcastle transfer saga in, in a little while, the Lingard one in particular. We're also going to talk about the uh, LOI TV situation because it was announced that it's going to be renewed uh, this season again, but it's going to be a little bit different, Will. But I do want to start with the Everton management situation. So it's been a week or so since they sacked Rafa Benitez after their loss to Norwich. Everton seemed to be all in the boat off Rafa Benitez. They took his side over the sporting director. They took his side over Luca Dean, who is arguably one of their best players in their squad. And then they sacked him a week later without a replacement. The management search goes on. Vitor Pereira came out as an early favourite. Frank Lampard has been interviewed for the job. Wayne Rooney has apparently been in, uh, interviewed for the job as well. But one of the more interesting things here, Arthur, is that one of the managers, Vitor Pereira, has gone on Sky Sports News ahead of him getting the job, ahead of him potentially getting the job. And he spoke in detail for about 35 minutes about his meeting with Ken Wright, with the Everton board. And this was just one of the most bizarre stories that you're going to see in the Premier League. I've never seen this happen. No, it's rare, but you kind of have to admire it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love the guts of different. it. It's um, like, you know, like it's only a slice. Like if he, if it's like a slight tongue in cheek, but he's probably, I suppose, if you're somewhat aware of what you're up against, it's like, well, how am I going to broadcast myself if Frank Lampard, as you'll go on to talk about, I suppose, with his kind of, doing that publicity work for him how can I somehow raise my because to be honest with you like I'm not sure like I, I I didn't know much of him beforehand to be honest as a manager you know and it's a good way of getting out there it's a good way of going it's a good way of making people listen to you it's like well yeah. here he is he's honest <laughs> it's a good guy maybe he's for us I I like it is odd it's it's downright weird and I say Sky couldn't believe their luck but it's um yeah I've no problem with that that's fine to rob a line from the Ben Stiller movie, Dodgeball, that's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off. <laughs> yeah. But exactly, it was. It was a ballsy move from Vito Pereira, who I'd say most people 
outside of the Premier League or inside of the Premier League bubble, bubble hadn't actually heard of before this. And he came out as a, a strong favourite for the Everton job a couple of times. He is a, a favourite of Farhad Mashiri without actually being an Everton fan favourite. And Everton fans came out in uh, sort of ar- an, an angry voice during the week. They were protesting. There was one bit of gra- graffiti outside of Goodison Park saying that um, Vitor Pereira should be sacked already without getting the job and Frank Lampard should get the job. So it's not. it's been a bit busy period in the life of Everton so far. If anybody missed the Pereira interview, some of the quotes that come out from it, I think they were enthusiastic with what I proposed to them, an intensive game plan, a pressing game plan, a game of possession. So this is what uh, this is what Pereira wants to bring to the Everton job that he hasn't gotten yet. Uh, this is what I proposed to them. What I felt in the meetings was that they were very positive with the interviewers, the feedback from the club. It was good feedback. So the, very confident Victor Pereira after his talks with Everton. Well, let's talk about Frank Lampard, though. Will, why do why does he keep coming up as a man for these jobs? He came up as a potential Newcastle manager. He came up as a potential Norwich manager, and now he's coming up as a potential uh, Everton manager, despite not having the greatest track record as a manager so far. Because I think primarily because he's a Premier League legend. He's a former England footballer, which is going to put him in the frame for jobs before uh, some people who are friendly to Frank Lampard in punditry circles and within the media are there to give glowing reports of Frank Lampard and why maybe his uh, foundations that he laid at Chelsea are what Thomas Tuchel has built upon to become European champions. When I think the majority of us who look back on Frank Lampard's time at Stamford Bridge will say that he was backed heavily in the transfer market by Roman Abramovich going into the season where he was fired. Over the two seasons where he was in charge, their defensive record was extremely poor. They conceded a lot of goals from set pieces particularly. And those kind of basic things were not fixed by Frank Lampard during the time he was there. And magically then when Thomas Tuchel came in, they were able to become much more solid at the back and they were able to press far more effectively as a team in a more general sense as well. So they, I think, are massive marks going against Frank Lampard. If we look at his managerial record, you look at he's up against Wayne Rooney currently for the job, it would seem, although... I don't know how you guys feel about it. I think if I was Wayne Rooney, depending on how dire the situation might be with Derby's potential takeover, that if he could stay for the rest of the season, he'd actually probably enhance his CV more by being at Derby County until the end of the season than if he goes to Everton for a salvage job for the rest of the campaign. Like what Rooney has done with two hands behind his back because of the financial situation and the points deduction at Derby has been nothing short of remarkable, which is in stark contrast to a Frank Lampard squad when he was at Derby, including some high-profile loan players that he was able to bring in with help from Chelsea at the time particularly, which should have been able to get out of the championship, but they fell in the playoffs. And Derby have been paying the price really for the overspending and the poor management at board level since then. You can't put everything onto Frank Lampard on that, but still he had a very good team, which he was unable to get out of the championship. Got the Chelsea job almost exclusively because he was a Chelsea legend. And now he's being linked with this Everton job because of his profile in the game as well. But it is intriguing. You mentioned the Norwich job, which Frank Lampard was reportedly very keen on. And Norwich ultimately decided to go for Dean Smith and went for someone who's got experience within the Premier League and perhaps a manager who was able to come in. And we've seen a bit of a kick in Norwich in the last few weeks. They've got some good results and have got themselves back into contention to stay in the Premier League for next season um, since Farke left the club. So just because Frank Lampard is a big name, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to get jobs, but it definitely would feel that his profile is enough to get him into a position to be interviewed for the Middle East. Yeah, I think that Dean Smith's an interesting one because... Dean, first, Dean Smith for me is an actually is actually a good manager. You know, he he has shown in the past that he is able to organize teams. Whereas Frank Lampard, frankly, hasn't. He has come in 
and he's brought in a lot of high profile players and the chances are you're going to you're going to do quite well with a lot of high profile players at your club and then when it came to pushing on and making that next step he wasn't able to do it Thomas Tuchel come in, comes in and almost instantly does it but are there, this raises an interesting point around the facade of British managers in particular with Frank Lampard being you know, linked with all these jobs. Wayne Rooney, even the fact that he's linked with this Everton job, I know he's doing a decent job at Derby County, but I mean, Derby County are down where they are for a reason. I mean, is there a weird obsession with British managers without real evidence to back up any success with them? Um, maybe, but I, I don't think there's necessarily any issue with that. I mean, it... it uh... Okay, like there'd be different scenarios, right? If, if, so Frank Lampard getting the Chelsea job was crazy, like really, you know. And I understand the club links and everything was crazy. It wasn't a job he's really ready for, you know, so anything like that. But like to bring it back here, I mean, we probably could have got a better candidate with a better managerial record for Ireland job than Stephen Kenny, but we very much so wanted an Irish manager, not you know someone familiar with the league, someone more interested or vested in the the Irish game, more so than just Irish, in charge. And I I think I think the paucity of the records of British and English managers, particularly in recent years, probably is more of a reflection on that. Like I I and I guarantee like if you take so someone like if you take the situation with even I know everyone points out Potter at Brighton, but like there's a certain there is a greater satisfaction in that, I think, than when, say, perhaps, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what's happened maybe at Southampton where they have gone and got an extremely good manager. But again, it, it, there, there's kind of like, I, I don't think there's, a, like it's the same exact same way with players. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with wanting to have, with promoting from within somehow. I know Frank Lampard is a very odd one to go with that because he is such a global figure. Like, But um, I don't, in principle, I don't think it should, like it's, it's frankly, it is weird how under-represent, how under uh, not necessarily up or underrepresented, but how far English managers have underachieved, and I don't know why that is. Really, I don't. I like, is it just down to this? Like, I don't know. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Like, I, I can understand why clubs would want to break that trend, but um, that I think that's a wider. I don't know why it is as bad as it is. It's just it's a bit weird. Well, well I, for, Ever- for Everton lads, if they decide to go with Frank Lampard, which I, I don't expect they will, but obviously still being heavily linked with it, that would be almost breaking with the tradition of the type of manager that Everton have been appointing over the last while. Like a bit of a risk was taken on Roberto Martinez, probably based on what he had done at Wigan when he first came in. It's very telling when you talk about how unpopular potential appointments are, how incredibly unpopular Roberto Martinez is with Everton fans about him coming back in. And that's notwithstanding the awkwardness of trying to get him out of a Belgium job even on a part-time basis for the rest of the season while they're preparing for a World Cup at the end of this calendar year. But they've gone for Ronald Koeman. They have gone for, you know, Ancelotti. They've gone for Rafa Benitez. They've actually looked more towards continental coaches with a bit of experience within the Premier League, but also those who've got a track record of having won leagues previously. And that would surely help Pereira having won a couple of league titles with Porto if he's coming in to try and get this job as opposed to going for Frank Lampard. I think the English managers, um, it's funny, there's a circle of them who've got experience in the Premier League who will continue to be recycled back into jobs. And no more evident than that was Roy Hodgson, you know, the oldest manager in the Premier League, loses his job at Crystal Palace. Everyone's praising what Patrick Vieira has done 
at Sellers Park since. And yet Roy Hodgson at a time with Watford feel that they need to bring in somebody to steer them over the next few months to try and get out of the relegation zone. It's break glass and go for the tried and trusted. It seems like you go for Roy Hodgson, you go for Sam Allardyce in these situations when Premier League clubs start to struggle. Yeah. If anybody's wondering what the squeaky toy is behind the audio of running it, around. it is uh, Will, Will's little puppy running around in the background. It's highly distracting for me watching him jump on all the cushions. But just to continue on the British manager situation, one thing that I think, Arthur, is if you look at the historical link of British managers and where they come from compared to the continental ones, and this is sort of a generalization because I understand there are managers in the continental leagues that that get in from a, a similar situation but I always feel that the British managers come from being great players so you know you've got you've got Frank Lampard who was obviously a phenomenal player Steven Gerrard now Wayne Rooney and previous to that you've got you've got players like you know Mark Hughes Alan Pardew these players who had high standards I within I know but but I, <laughs> That's a big draw. Alan Pardew Pardew was a bad example there. But you know what I mean? Steve Bruce, they've played at a high level within the game. They've gone from basically being, and it is a British thing where the manager is a previous player who comes in and makes his way through the game. Whereas the likes of, say, Klopp, for example, did not have a good playing career at all. Jose Mourinho didn't play at all. Pep Guardiola, I know he played with Barcelona and he was he was quite good. So he's sort of an, an exception to the rule. But there's more of an obsession in Britain with the former player making it then uh, as a manager, making his way through the trade. And I don't necessarily think they make their way through the trade in the same way that they do in Europe. And they don't, they're they're impatient, I feel. Frank Lampard, for example, went straight into a championship job and then went straight into a Premier League job. He hasn't really done his trade. He hasn't really learned as much as he's going to learn. And I think that's the difference with Steven Gerrard and you hear the way that he speaks about Michael Beale, his assistant, who he allows to do most of the coaching because he said that it would take him 15, 20 years to learn what Michael Beale can as a coach. And I just feel that there's a real sort of expressway for these British managers who don't really put in their time and uh, possibly learn as much as they could. I, I respect that to a degree, but I suppose we don't consider like the reason I suppose you and you if you take so Klopp and, and Tugel and you take Ralph Hasenhutl all you know I know that's from a very small period of time but um the fact of the matter is like so I don't know what to go back I suppose into the Guardiola generation of his peers I'm not sure if Stefan Effenberg tried to manage anyone in Germany. I don't know if he got a club job. It didn't work. And we never hear of him again in that regard. I just think we're probably close enough to it. And I don't know why I went to Stefan Effenberg. But I think we're just so close to it that, like, I know they walk into jobs. But, like, I suppose that's the back of, that's that's what you get for being an elite footballer. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, fair enough. Like, the same reason that, like Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher get on Sky and ex-footballer from League Two doesn't. It's like, it's just, okay, well, I mean, that's kind of... And I I, th- I do think it is, like, there is the, the thing, as Will has mentioned, like, there's those the people who are just serially recycled again and again and again with, like, it, and it doesn't make any sense. But, like, I feel like it's a bit of a meritocracy for most of them insofar as if you're found out, you're found out. Like, I don't know... I don't know, like if, if Frank Lampard went into another Premier League job and made a hames of it, like does he get the next one that's coming up again? 
If he does, I think maybe he will. Maybe he I think if, if you take if you take the the prime example I would use here of where there's sort of a bias towards these British managers who quote unquote know the league is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who finished second in the league, took United to you know the Europa League, is. but but how. Frank Lampard, who did technically a worse job with uh, having spent a lot of money at Chelsea, but how like, much higher a club do you reckon he's going to get over Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? But I'm not being an apologist for him, but like he got to an FA Cup final. They didn't get any, but he couldn't buy any win in his first window, couldn't he? Because they're still at that transfer ban and he got a top four finish. Like, it's not, it's not nothing. And he know, I know they got, he came within a game of getting Derby promoted. Derby haven't promoted, haven't been promoted in, a, I think, got relegated around 2008. Like, I know it was built on fucking like a cloud, you know, on, on, on nothing. It was built on smoke and mirrors, like the money and stuff. But like, I, I think it's given his playing career and given who he's played for and what you, and the, I don't doubt for a second, I'd say the man does a mean interview and he's very charming when he needs to be. But like, I wouldn't hire him, but I can understand why he's getting hired. I don't think it's so preposterous. But also like, yeah. there's no there's there's no guarantee that it's not going to work for a manager who has very little experience in the top flight if they're just a legendary former player. Like you mentioned, Pep Guardiola comes in with just, was it six, eight months with the Barcelona B team when he gets appointed in 2009? He wins the treble in the European Cup in his first season. Zindin Zidane, apparently very clever guy at laying mm-hmm. out and delegating a lot of the activity within Real Madrid while he was there with the European Cups that they won. But the simple fact of the matter is that Zidane came in with no coaching profile whatsoever and was able to take a winning team to win multiple European Cups. Carlo Ancelotti very quickly went into management and has been incredibly successful over a long career. There are some people who can go in with very little coaching, go into pretty much a top job, and then do very well at it. I The Solskjaer one's interesting, not to come to bat for Lampard, but I think if clubs were looking at two candidates right now, Frank Lampard is probably far more likely to get a job than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is. Yeah, I know, that, that's my point. But, the, you know, that's that's the idea around it, is that, you know... These are two managers who had two clubs of a high standard who did pretty much the exact same thing, yet you would not bet on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer possibly ever getting a Premier League job again after what he did at United compared to Frank Lampard, who's now been linked with three major jobs. And I just find that interesting that there is this sort of leaning towards the British manager who knows the club or knows the league. And just as an example of, you know, maybe how there isn't, the success there to back any of this credibility up. Over the last five seasons, last year, for example, there were 10 British managers in the league. Three of them were relegated. Two of them finished in the top 10. The league, the year before that, 11 British managers, two of them relegated, four in the top 10. And you go back three more years, two relegated, two relegated, two relegated, two in the top 10 between those three years. So you actually have these managers who technically know the league yes but might not actually be that good a manager but do you constantly then want to be looking abroad or would you rather like be looking intern like i don't know what the numbers were in italy i would say mm. if you said three italian managers were relegated last season i'd say if you said three spanish managers were relegated from the liga like i'm not sure what that um what it necessarily demonstrates like it demonstrates that they're picking the wrong people but it's still i think you got to come back to the root point of why why there aren't more successful English for to say the Premier League. Like it, it like the Premier League, because it's such an anomaly, like it compared to other the major European leagues, like it, there's there's no like there's no league you'll come across in Europe where a person from that country hasn't won it in 30 years. Like it, it's just it's bizarre. Yeah. 
I, I don't know. I, I just feel it's overblown, the idea of knowing the league, for example, as an, a reason for getting a, a major job. Maybe you should be, you know, a top quality manager. And don't get me wrong, I'm absolutely not batting here for the, you know, the brain's trust of Europe where automatically a foreign coach is a better coach than, than one for Eng- from England, for example. But I just feel that there are certain clubs that will hire based upon previous reputation as a player and just give them the job despite them not actually being that all that good at all. It just, it just strikes me as bad business from the Premier League clubs. Well, the bad business end is exactly what you mentioned about Rafa Benitez, though, where Everton decide to go for Benitez and then change everything around when it appeared previously that they had put a backroom team in place. Like to remove your head of scouting, to remove your head of medicine, to remove pretty much everything that's there for continuity of Rafa Benitez doesn't work out and then end up having to get rid of Rafa Benitez when results turn as the season goes on as well. That's remarkable poor management from teams. Like I never really get that about the Premier League because in a lot of leagues elsewhere, I'm thinking of, because Watford naturally came into my brain the other day. I had to do a quick Google to see where Kika Sanchez-Flores was, if he was uh, potentially going to come back to Watford. Turns out he's at Hitafe for a third time, which blocked him from going uh, to Watford for a third time. He's taken them over in a pretty bad place. But they've got like a club structure, which is there with, you know, director of football, head of scouting, everything is there. He comes in as the coach. Same with Unai Emery, who moves around with a lot of jobs and is doing a good job at Villarreal right now. I'm thinking of Lobotegi, who's had a fair few jobs in recent times and is rebuilding his reputation in a title race with Sevilla. Because Dark is one, I'm just thinking of outside the Premier League, where there are managers that move around quite a bit and go through multiple jobs. Like Sevilla have got already their transfer guru who's in place. I would imagine that Lopetegui has very little to do in Seville when it comes to recruitment. He is told to coach the team and his job is, I will get you a set of players and you will bring them to a certain point. In the Premier League, there still seems to be an obsession with the manager being the overseer of everything. I'm not sure if that's the shadow of Alex Ferguson, but a lot of other managers within the Premier League seem to seek that power too. It's one of the reasons that Rafa Benitez in the latter stages of his time at Liverpool, and nobody would have wanted to work under Hicks and Gillette, but Benitez felt that because of the job that he was doing, he should have more autonomy over the club and felt he wasn't getting it. Similarly, at Newcastle, he thought that he should be the main man and that the power should flow from him while Newcastle were trying to set up something behind them. And we've seen with Everton once again that Rafa was able to sweep away those who were around him within the club. And then if it goes wrong, it's a monumentally terrible decision. Like even Spurs are having to do this at the moment where they've brought in a new director of football who kind of aligns with Antonio Conte. What happens if Antonio Conte decides at the end of the season that Spurs aren't signing the players that he wants? And next thing, Patrici, the guy who's come in to sign the players from Italy and to be, again, their transfer Svengali, does he have to follow Conte out of the club as well? These mistakes become incredibly expensive if you have to keep on replacing these people that go beyond the manager every time as well. Yeah, I guess the difference between the European leagues is that the Premier League are operating within the 2007 Irish housing market where it's just the the wild west of anything goes and we've got money to burn regardless this bubble is never going to burst so they can almost afford to mis- make these mistakes and and fix them within a couple of years I, I I do think yeah the the lack of sort of sporting pl- sport planning within the Premier League and the change in structure I do think that is largely down to the the Alex Ferguson effect um but it it'll be interesting to see if if any of these Premier League clubs, Brentford are an example of it, um, how far they can take it within the Premier League structure, given the money that they're up against. Because 
the likes of say you know the Red Bull project in Germany or um, the the Sevilla project that you mentioned they're going up against Real Madrid and Barcelona and Bayern Munich fair enough but they are able to take it to the second be- make themselves the second best club in, in Spain or Germany whereas in the Premier League I just don't know if that's possible regardless of how smart you are if you're going up against Man City if you're going up against Liverpool if you're going up against Manchester United who literally just have money to burn but maybe as well, Andrew, does this not kind of highlight the importance of having the right people in the positions around the sporting side of your club to be able to do things correctly as well? Like, you look at how things went to absolute pot for Barcelona over the last few years. They brought in the former Valencia director who appears to be pioneering these deals which saw them able to sign Ferran Torres. They feel that they're actually in the hunt now to sign um, Erling Haaland. Like, who coaches them on the field is a lot less relevant when it comes to recruitment and outgoing and all these really important decisions that are made that can potentially transform a football club. But yet in the Premier League, the focus appears to always be on the gaffer, the guy who is in the dugout, even though dugouts don't really exist anymore, but the guy who's on the touchline at the weekend seems to be far more important to them than having the structures right and then changing a coach. Because look at how often clubs sack managers and coaches. It's probably the, the biggest and most frequent change that happens in the Premier League. Yeah, it's it's pretty much like a, a sideshow in itself who's going to be the first sacked and who's going to come in. Speaking of which, I was looking at the, when I was looking back at the managers in the lists of British managers, <laughs> you look at the, there's a separate section where it shows you when they came in and who, when the previous manager was sacked. And it's always within like, you know, five to 10 managers within a, a, the course of a year have been sacked and replaced and we just carry on with our lives as if this is a completely normal way to live as a as a human being. But speaking of which, Watford have yet another manager. They sacked Claudio Ranieri after his pretty dismal uh, record with the club after taking them over, let's be honest. But once again, we're seeing Watford being almost the laughing stock of the, the league. It's a it's a running joke at this point that you know they sack their managers, they move on, and they sack another manager, they move on. You know, Roy Hodgson's coming coming into this job. Do you think Arthur Roy Hodgson at his age is just thinking, yeah, this is a handy job. You know, I'll I'll work work for a couple of months now until the end of the season, and then get a massive payoff to get sacked, and then I'll go off to retire once again. I don't know. Look, I don't know the man's personal finances, but I'd say he's safe enough to retire now if he wanted. Like I am. Um... I'd say he just come back because he enjoys it. I, like from his point of view, I, I don't. Um, well, this is his seventeenth club. Just to put it yeah, in perspective, it's remarkable. Like, right. a, yeah, yeah. Like, was it about twenty or twenty three or twenty four years ago? Is that like Inter Milan? <laughs> like just this incredible varied career. Um, I mean, broadly speaking, at Watford, it's just kind of there's nothing really left to say. I, I forget it kills me because I forget who tweeted it. It's the same account that tweets out everything, and I'm sure you've seen it. But that that tweet that the last time what is it Watford have had six managers since they lasted a Premier League clean sheet yeah. like, <laughs> what kind of world is that what how does that even make sense I couldn't it's just oh god like, what, I, I, there's, there's nothing you can say I must be infuriating to be a Watford fan just like what's this for what and the players god knows what they're thinking like it felt like the it's right I was just saying that the right seemed to be on the wall for Ranieri almost the minute that he came in in that first game where I know there was all the joking around on BT Sport about the fact that he was offering them pizza if they kept a clean sheet against Liverpool and then they were ripped to absolute shreds. There was a few decent performances under Ranieri but generally 
I think the Watford result was the moment where they had to panic and go, right, we're in a serious mire here that Norwich have beaten us. And now it's a total... What feels to me, I don't know how you guys feel about the bottom of the Premier League at the moment. Burnley have got a huge job to try and stop because they've got those games in hand. They've not had any kind of form and they've barely even played over the last month. And then you've got Newcastle, who we almost have to assume will do two or three more deals and should be in a better position than when they were at the start of this month. And they have got a couple of results recently. Norwich have picked up six points over the last few weeks and seem like they're pulling themselves into a bit of form which could see them stay up. Watford are probably the most vulnerable who sit above the bottom three currently. Um, Maybe Everton can get sucked into there as well, given the way their form has been. But if you're Watford, you're probably thinking it's going to be a low relegation total from here to the end of the season. And maybe the hope is that Roy Hodgson can just go in, make that team solid. And then some of those exciting players that Watford have, like Sarr, like Dennis, can just get them a few match wins along the way and they can just stay in the Premier League for next season. I can't help but think that Hodgson is a plastering over the situation kind of appointment, that it's like Roy Hodgson will either get us to stay in the Premier League and we'll reassess in the summer or we'll be sacked and we'll just let Roy Hodgson go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the relegation battle's really tight this year. Everton, I would not rule out. They're, they're slowly uh, being dragged into that race. Norwich outside of the relegation zone on 16. They've played a game extra than Newcastle. Watford, honestly, and I, I mean this in the nicest possible way to the men who make their career at Watford, but I genuinely hope they go down. I despise having Watford in the league because it's just such a farce every year. It's, it's so boring. It's just a repetitive thing where they just come in, they try to stay up, they sack three managers in the year and they inevitably go down either that year or the following year. It just seems like a waste of time. Hold on, sacking aside, does that not make Norwich absolutely pointless as well, given that Norwich just yo-yo between the two divisions? No, well, I like Norwich now that they've actually decided to do something about their relegation battle. Last couple of times they've come up, they've just come up and decided to go down again, and it's fine. But this year they've actually said, no, this year we might actually try stop the bleeding at some point in the season and try save it. And it it looks like, you know, they could be an interesting side until the the end of the season. I think they're going to cause some upsets over the next couple of weeks because... They're really fighting to to stay in the league this year, which is an interesting one. But all I want is for Blackburn Rovers to come back into the, the Premier League. They're second in the championship at the minute. And I just want to recreate the 2004 or 2005 Premier League season. That's that's all I want from life. Chelsea ran away with that, didn't they? They were like 95 points. Something like that. Apart from that. First born, just kept beating everyone 1-0 with Robin and Duff. Listen, Damien Duff. Keep that. Damien Duff in his prime. Damien Duff in his prime. That's all I want. And just thinking about Morton we, Gams Patterson here. That's what's on his mind. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually am. I genuinely am. I'm dreaming of Morton Gams Patterson at night. Um, listen, we will talk about Damien Duff perhaps um, after the break because we want to talk about a little bit of a League of Ireland as the, the season nears closer. We're in pre-season for the League of Ireland and the LOI TV is coming back as well with a little slight change which could cause some upset so stay with us here on team 33 we'll be back after the short break team 33 this is otb sports radio Hello, welcome back to team 33 and a call here with you in the company of willow callan and arthur od before the break we we're chatting about the british managers the frank lampard situation the everton management situation so if you want to listen back to any of that you can get it in the podcast which is in the otb sports app now will the League of Ireland is nearing closer. We're in pre-season. There's a lot of talking points going into this season with the return of Jack Byrne to Shamrock Rovers, the Bohemians situation 
all the players leaving the League of Ireland, all the best players of the last season leaving. Drogheda being absolutely plundered by different Scottish clubs mm-hmm. here and there. But uh, it was announced on uh, Tuesday, Wednesday that LOI TV was coming back for the season, but with a slight change, and it's one that's going to cause some upset. So the the broad strokes uh, story here is that the LOI TV is returning, but it's going to be seven euro for each game to watch with first division costing uh, five euro. The women's national league will be free to watch. So if you're watching individual teams over the course of the season, it's going to cost you 252 euro. Whereas last year you could get the entire premier division season, regardless of what team, regardless of what game for 138 euro for the first half and then 59 euro for the second half. So you're talking about a real increase. If you want to watch all of the league all of the time, you're going to have to pay for every game. I, this doesn't seem like the best move for the League of Ireland. No, it's uh, definitely a massive backstep. I wonder if it'll be reconsidered given the backlash that there's been to it so far. They've lost a customer of me who has signed up for the last couple of years through the pandemic. I thought it was a great deal when I could sign up and then when I wanted on demand, could just sit down and watch a Premier Division match and Oftentimes I would watch two or three games of the weekend because I had my subscription and I could just flick onto the laptop. And it wasn't a case of making a decision that I was going to pay five or seven euro on demand to watch a single game. And it's a very poor deal for supporters of an individual club. You've already outlined the 250 quid it's going to cost to watch the games this season, which is a substantial change compared to being able to see your rivals and every other game in the league for the same price. I understand that streaming is expensive and in all likelihood, it probably ran as a lost leader over the last couple of seasons. But the feeling was that they had to do so because we were in the middle of a pandemic and therefore you had to provide a way for people to be able to watch the league. And I'm sure there are gamblers abroad who probably loved being able to sign up at that kind of price. And I'm sure football scouts in the UK and particularly in the SPL, given how many team players have gone uh, to Scotland over the last few weeks from the League of Ireland, were probably signing up with their season pass and watching players across the weekend. But for the general fan like ourselves, it makes a huge difference. And I really can't justify paying seven quid to watch an individual game. There might be some big fixtures where I look to do so, but it's now far more likely that I'll watch the games that are already being televised on TV as opposed to streaming a few games at the weekend because of the cost. And also just from a pure ease of use side of things as well, I signed up for my two half-season passes over the last couple of years. Some issues along the way with the fact that I think in the second half of the year, the quality maybe dipped a little bit when it dropped outside and clubs were doing <laughs> their own. But there was a kind of a quirky charm to it. And I got introduced to Joey and Doe when the clubs were putting their own commentary teams on it. And you know, for a first division fan... They probably saw this technology which was used that made it an awful lot cheaper than an outside broadcast unit, which was this um, camera that can follow the ball of both ends of the field. And there were some really comical moments along the way where particularly if one of the assistant referees was bald, the camera was very often tricked when it was trying to track from side to side as well. But we kind of allow for that quirkiness because, you know, it was a pandemic and, you know, it's a bit of fun and whatever else. But I think for this to be a model that's going to be sustainable it's very unlikely that I think they're going to get people to stream anywhere near the numbers that they did previously. If you have to sit down with your credit card and individually buy every game for your club as you go along. Yeah, I just don't think it's uh, a model that's going to work. It just seems really impractical. For example, uh, as a Finn Harps supporter, if you're watching Finn Harps and then let's say the Dublin Derby is on the same night at the same time, it's a really tough choice there. Do you sit down and watch you know, a team like Harps fight it out 
try scrap a 1-0 win or do you watch the Dublin Derby, which is full of drama all the time? For me, when I was watching last year, or the previous years, it was I would watch the Finn Harps game and then if something crazy was happening in the Dublin Derby, you can just switch over, which was mm. an absolutely brilliant feature. Whereas I just think if you're giving people the choice here, Arthur, to choose between watching an individual match, which will cost them €7 Euro, or paying for the entire season, that €7 Euro choice every time is going to become tougher and tougher. Yeah, I, I don't. You kind of and, I, and like uh, Will, I was saying, like I, I bought up uh, the last few years as well. Those the, the half season passes, and it like I kind of trust with these things that they must they must have some reason. It's not just kind of some <laughs> bizarre choice, but like I feel, and even for things like work, so obviously there's an awful lot of games. So take for example a game on a, on Monday night, Tuesday night, which you know they can come up regular semi regularly enough. You're not going to I so I won't be watching that because we work, but. Up until now, I've still been paying for it quite happily. I've still, you know, that's that's money. You know, I just feel that's kind of they're going to lose surely something in that because I was quite happy to pay it, and then when I could watch, I'll watch. But you're kind of happy to contribute whatever, regardless. But this is kind of like, yeah. Besides, you even get into the question then of what which match to watch or what you know what's the best quality. Like I, I heard it was funny. I think I heard Phil Egan in the office saying like, why not a day pass? Like even that's a step in the right direction. Like it makes more sense. Or like with now TV, you can get stuff with like the monthly pass or whatever. And you're there, you're set for a month. You don't have to worry about it. The game by game, I really, I'd be amazed if it's, it, it seems, I don't want to be like, I don't, I don't want to think, but it seems, it seems greedy, to be honest. It seems like they're kind of going to go, well, you'll pay it or you won't see it. So tough. And it's like, right, well, how's that worked before? I wonder as well, Arthur, if it's to a certain extent set up to fail because for the clubs, they want to get people back through the turnstiles again, understandably. You know, it's been a very difficult couple of years and having people in the ground is going to be you know, profitable for clubs and they want to try and get people back in. If they're available on a stream that somebody has purchased, you know, once in this single year, that's probably going to be a very small amount of money coming back to the clubs who are actually playing on the night itself. I wonder yeah. if they're half hoping that no one's going to sign up for this and streaming will just be dramatically reduced. The reason I say that is because I look at just other sports currently, the GA who streamed every single game everywhere locally and inter-county over the last couple of years have dramatically cut down on streaming for the coming season with the exception of BBC are going to show quite a few Ulster games. And the reasoning that a lot of GA county boards have given so far is just the bottom line. It's like if these games are available to watch easily, people are not going to come down to actually watch them. And I wonder, is that part of the thinking? Not necessarily you know to not want streaming happening whatsoever but i'd say at the back of it clubs won't be too unhappy if streaming is less popular and people are coming into grounds mm. it's the inevitable sort of sophie's choice with the league of ireland where you know they want people at the stadiums but they also want tv coverage and to grow the league but it almost seems like both of those both of those can't live at the at the same time for some reason in the league of ireland but We'll see how it works out. Like this could be a massive success, but I, I highly doubt it. I think it's going to backfire yeah. majorly with the LOI TV. Just with the League of Ireland in general, Will, it's been a pretty busy preseason in terms of League of Ireland news with all the outgoing players. I mean, there's some really talented players leaving the league, which is disappointed to see. But um, there's also some really exciting players going to be playing in the league, not not the least Jack Byrne, who's returning to Shamrock Rovers. It just seems like Shamrock Rovers are getting stronger and stronger and, you know, it's up to the the chasing pack to sort of, you know, you know, t- 
you're reeling them in a little bit here, but I, I just think Shamrock Rovers are probably strong favourites again this year. I think so. I think it's going to take a remarkable amount for somebody to catch them. I mean, there's so many, as you've already outlined, interesting storylines going into the season. Like, What kind of business can Bohemians get done over the next month when you consider some of the key players that have left them and other players who could well leave but maybe haven't completed transfers so far? And I'm sure it's stung this week to see Lions going across to play for Shamrock Rovers when he's been so promising for Bohemians and now getting into the Republic of Ireland under-21 squad. And then he makes the decision to go across the Liffey and play for Shamrock Rovers for next season. Like Rovers squad, even taking into account losing Liam Scales in the last transfer window to go to Celtic, they have got just so much depth. And then in Jack Byrne, they've got a guy who for a couple of years ran the league with the quality that he has from the centre of midfield. He's going to add so much to a Shamrock Overside who are already packed with players of a very, very high quality with guys like Danny Mandrew and like Burke. It's just a very, very strong Shamrock Rovers team who should give qualification for at least the Europa Conference League if they were to get knocked out in the first round of the Europa League qualifiers a good run this time around. But then you look at Derry and you look at the fact that Derry have plucked away a couple of Dundalk's best players in recent seasons to join them with an already pretty decent squad where they already had a good setup at Derry and the money is now there for them to be able to back that up if, say, they're in a really good position going into the summer window next year. So Dundalk under Stephen O'Donnell, let's see how close they can get. I get the feeling that they're going to be a lot closer to the top three than they were to the bottom three in the season just gone by. And then everyone's going to be watching Damien Duff, who's going to be box office for the league at Shelburne. You know, Shelburne, again, have recruited well so far. I think recruited quite cleverly. They're effectively going to an almost a full-time model for this season, having come back out of the first division after completely blitzing it last season. And I would say that Damien Duff, based on everything that I've read and heard about what he's trying to do at Shelburne so far, is going to be trying to bring a massive level of professionalism and to try and drive up their level massively as well. So it's going to be intriguing mm-hmm. to see who finally ends up in that top four. But I'd be with you. I mean, Shamrock Rovers are the proven product within the league. And even though they've lost a few players in recent times, getting Jack Byrne back is a, a huge, huge signing for them. Yeah, Tim Clancy is going to be interesting as well at, at St. Patsy. They've made some interesting signings as well. And by, by Shelburne's good transfer policy, you mean plundering Finn Harps for all their best players. That's that's what you mean by, <laughs> feel, by their clever. I, I'd have feeling you'd be slightly sore about that end as a Finn Harps supporter, yeah. But look, that's the key, isn't it, though? You look around the league and you see talent that's available and, in their case, players that they could attract into Dublin to play for them for next season. And, you know, this is the joy of short-term contracts around the league and contracts that only last for a certain amount of weeks and maybe not even the full calendar year. The clubs towards the top can just pick off the best players who are available in the country and then watch the clubs in England and Scotland pick them off from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a it's a weird league in that way. Arthur, before we finish up, Sligo Rovers, how are you feeling about the season ahead? Well, look, I kind of, like I said before, like it was kind of unfortunate the way everything fell. I never got to see Johnny Kenny play in the flesh. <laughs> like, I just never got to. Um, it's unfortunate, but I I think there's a, a a pretty grim inevitability about how the league will go. To be honest, in general, I I don't. Um, wouldn't pretend to be any expert now, but like it, you were talking earlier about kind of poorly run clubs like Shamrock Rovers seem to be the alternative to the extreme. Like it's not, I really don't. My, I, I, I think it's very interesting all during this time of year. Like there's always that excitement about a new season and there's always kind of an awful lot of interesting talking points. Like this year it's even accelerated again with Duff particularly and see how that goes. But I always, it just, I do worry like that it'll all be kind of, there'll be a bit of a, <laughs> how is this going to end come June, July, that this is already kind of a bit sewn up. I don't know if they'll be, 
especially because they've got like players aside, like even whatever way you rate him, just the fact that Stephen Bradley's been there as long as he's been there now, he's kind of, he, it's settled in. There's no, I'm sure the rhythm and everything there is just absolutely perfect. So I think it'll take something pretty seismic to shock that out or to kind of, for someone to come along, like it would require a serious job. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's why it's such a shame to see Stephen O'Donnell head up to Dundalk because it just seemed that, you know, that yeah. FAI Cup could have, you know, put them towards the title the following year if he had a stayed. But Tim Clancy is a very good manager as well. So it, it will be interesting to see what St. Pat's do. Sign also took uh, Finn Harp's best player of last year uh, in Owal Abbey. So I, I'm going to be following all these different players around the league, regardless of who they're playing for. But it's going to cost you a fortune. Oregon, Ollie Horgan's <laughs> yeah, exactly. He'll be be paying 17, uh, 21, 28 euro every week to just to, just LOI, to LOI TV. You've got at least 250 euro from Mended before the season yeah. starts. <laughs> yeah, big time. So we'll we'll see how it pans out. The league isn't starting for another couple of weeks, but exciting times in the League of Ireland, regardless. Uh, Will Arthur, that's us done for this evening. Thanks very much. Cheers, lads. Cheers, Enda. No, so that is us done on Team 33 for this evening. Thanks to you for watching and for listening to the show this week. If you want to get the podcast this, it will be available in the OTB Sports app in the usual place as well. That is us done for this evening's show. Until next week, take away, Johan. (laughs) 